I should tell you that we conducted this interview um, six feet apart. We were both masked during the entire interview, but I need to tell you that if you hear this podcast and you have something you want to share um, with other Black women, or you know someone that has something to share, please don't hesitate to contact me. I'm Dr. Rahman. I can be reached at um, via email or via this podcast. Thank you. Sometimes you just can't rush the process. And now what we've all been waiting for. Good morning. This is Dr. Rahman and this is Black Women's Health, a podcast that tries to shine the light on black women, a podcast that tries to help black women um, live their best lives and be in their best health. We are less than 30 days from the election and all I can say is vote. Vote as though your life depended on it because it looks like it really does. But I am very excited today to say that she's here, Dr. Nicole Dugan, the physical therapist that I referred to um, last week. So welcome, doctor. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Dr. Vermont. So um, I have lots of questions for you, but maybe you could just start by telling me um, your education and what exactly do you do? So I am a doctor of physical therapy. Um, what that means is I have uh, a, went to physical therapy school after undergraduate to achieve a doctorate level. And at this time, the, all of the education for physical therapists is doctorate level. When I got my original degree, it was a master's in physical therapy. And since that time, the, um, the vision is to have escalate physical, to elevate physical therapists to the level of doctor, as we are musculoskeletal diagnosticians. So we will diagnose musculoskeletal conditions as they contribute to um, whatever the um, ailment or um, injury that uh, a, a client or a patient is, is experiencing. Um, this is particularly important in my clinical specialty area because my clinical specialty area is pelvic health. There's a lot of things going on in the pelvis. Yes. And the pelvic floor muscles specifically have so much contribution to the medical conditions that correspond, for example, the bladder, the vagina, the uterus, the bowels, the pelvic floor muscles are the musculoskeletal component that encompasses all of that. So um, my clinical specialty area, which I dove right into pretty early into my career, of over 23 years is um, the pelvic health and how that contributes or addressing the musculoskeletal components contributes to pelvic health and overall pelvic health and well-being. Okay. Can you tell me what um, led you to be interested in physical therapy? I decided when I was 16 years old that I wanted to be a physical therapist. The idea came to me when I was, um, you know, I was playing sports in high school and 
I was, you know, talking around with, um, you know, the trainers and the coaches and the doctors people are exposed to. And so I was really interested in this area. And um, so um, somebody had advised physical therapy, um, which I hadn't yet heard of, but I was uh, researched it and I did the old volunteering in the hospital, et cetera. And it really, it really stuck to me as something that I really would enjoy doing. And although my area isn't specific to sports, which was my original interest when I was 16, many years ago, um, I still find physical therapy very rewarding and um, very rewarding uh, career choice. And I was one of the few people that made up my mind what I wanted to do and it, it found me and I never changed my major and I just kept with it and stuck with it. And I enjoy every day coming to work actually. Interesting. So are there a lot of women in physical therapy or is it a male dominated specialty? Physical therapy is actually female dominated. About 70, I think 70% or so, or 60-70% of physical therapists actually are females. However, like many other careers, um, you will see in levels of management and ownership and so forth that 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 level is more male dominated and in physical therapy um, actual practitioners and so forth you will see are um, more female dominated but one of the great things about physical therapy as a career is similar to um, nursing or so forth you know physical therapy is like a seven day a week operation so you can be a physical therapist and work whatever schedule you'd like um, because you could work weekends, you can work part-time, you're very flexible on a schedule like if you are interested in working in the hospital or even owning your own practice you can set up shop on the weekends and have a lot of diversity for uh, flexibility for a schedule and so that attracts I think a lot of women um, to the profession as a caregiver and as the flexibility when you're thinking about balancing work-life balance and um, sure and child care responsibilities sure. etc yeah that sounds great yeah so as a uh, a patient how would I know if I need to see a physical therapist well in our model of care that we deliver now pain we generate a lot of referrals based on pain if you're having an ache or a pain um, a physical therapist is a, um, a good person to reference for determining or doing some differentiation to figure out is it a musculoskeletal problem or is it something else? So would I just like you said given our healthcare system yeah. if I had a pain would I need to go to my primary care doctor and get a referral or can I just make an appointment with a physical therapist. What's great is in all 50 states now, we have what we call direct access. So you can directly access a physical therapist by the allowance of our license. You can directly access a physical therapist. Hmm. What's not so great is, even though our license allows that, some insurances don't acknowledge that. So the insurance will say you need to have a physician's prescription to Before. go see a physical therapist. Unfortunately, that creates a barrier for people to have access to care because that's one other visit 
that's additional right. time, yes. that's an additional copay, et cetera. Yes. So that becomes a barrier to a license, a barrier to access, which is unfortunate, but that's something that our our organization is working towards um, alleviating. And is my visit with the physical therapist different than what I might experience if I went to see my PCP? Oh, 100%, yes. Yeah. Because the physical therapist is looking to figure out what, how your muscle, how you're moving, how your muscles are working. Do you have any scars? Is there soft tissue? What's this? How? How? What's the circulation looking like? We're looking at a multiple system review, similar to a physician, but we would actually have you moving, and we'd be testing your muscles and doing special tests to see if it's mm. the joint, is it the soft tissue, is it the ligaments, that type of thing. So it would be more detailed, looking at the musculoskeletal aspect as opposed to the physician review, which is really kind of, again, they're looking at multiple systems, but. So you wouldn't necessarily be sending me for x-rays? No. no. You would be testing my strength and how, how I walk or how I can lift something? Exactly, exactly. We don't, in this state, yes. <laughs> we don't prescribe x-rays, we don't prescribe medication. Um, some physical therapists, like in the Army, for example, their licensure allows them um, something different. So they might be able to prescribe an aspirin or yes. something like that. But in my state, my license does not allow me to even recommend anything over the counter or something like that. That's out of the scope of my practice. And just to be clear, physical therapist is not a chiropractor. Two very separate things. They are two different areas of training, yes. So chiropractic school is chiropractic, physical therapy school is physical therapy education. There is overlap in some of the interventions that a physical therapist and a chiropractor might apply, but the philosophy and care is, um, is quite different. Okay. So you mentioned that eventually you got interested in the pelvic floor. How did that happen? The opportunity came up. I was um, very early on in my practice. I was working at um, Penn, an academic medical institution. And um, they were, as part of the Women's Health Initiative, which is that trickle down from the NIH looking to include women in care and research, et cetera. So in part of that, um, trickle down, every department really was um, looking for how can we expand our women's health offerings. So the physical therapy department was looking to um, expand and include um, pelvic floor therapy and lymphedema therapy and um, that's in the um, kind of mostly in the kind of cancer realm, although other people can get lymphedema, that's a different uh, topic mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. what we're um, focusing on today. However, those were the initiatives that were brought forth from the uh, the organization that I was working with at Penn. And so um, I raised my hand and said, I'm interested. I would really like to expand my clinical skill set. And um, women are ignored in research and we need oh, to have, absolutely. we need to have women advocating for women and well, we need everybody advocating for women. But <laughs> 
um, we can certainly take the reins and do it for ourselves. And so, um, so the I, focus of your practice changed at it, that point. I was only practicing for six months at that time. So it was okay. so when your, I say early practice, on, it was very early on in my so career. You yeah. had a new direction. Yes. Yes. Um, did it involve um, any additional training or work that you had to do? in order to go in this new direction. Yeah, absolutely. So physical uh, pelvic health is a clinical specialty, which you would get beyond your basic entry-level training for really? physical therapy. So even 23 years later, it's still um, considered a clinical specialty, which you would do beyond your initial physical therapy learning. So I've had to, in some instances, go and learn from others, and in some instances, figure it out ourselves because really pelvic health therapy is relatively new. Ignored, ignored. <laughs> I think yes. speaking as a gynecologist, um, we talk a lot about the cervix and pap smears and cervical cancer, and we talk about the uterus and we talk about the ovaries. Pelvic floor doesn't get discussed a lot. It comes up when there's a problem. Or, or the other time that it comes up is when she's pregnant. And we, we will mention Kegel exercises um, postpartum. But that's pretty much as far as it goes a lot of times with, yeah. the, with the GYN. So when women come to you with pelvic floor issues, what are the most common issues that you're, you're seeing women for? The... Um, it runs the gamut, um, but as you kind of mentioned on your preview, is there are generally two kind of problems with muscles. Either they're weak or they're overactive, right? So either they're underactive, they're weak, you can't generate enough power, and problems that come with that, as you had mentioned, prolapse, incontinence, and um, and that could be anal incontinence, it could be urinary incontinence, prolapses when your organs kind of shift down a little bit. And so, um, so we see many patients in that realm. And then also on the other realm is the muscles are kind of overactive. They're kind of, it's like walking around with your pelvic floor muscles in a clenched fist because of tension or pain or stress or trauma. And so um, you kind of have the opposite problem where the muscles are overactive and we need to, the focus would be different as far as learning how the muscles to get a little bit more dynamic as you had. Right, so that's very interesting in that when we're, well, let's go back, let's go back, let's go really basic. What is the pelvic floor? What, what are we talking about? I'm glad that you asked that question because a lot of people don't know what the pelvic floor Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Um, we don't know. It's, it's because of modesty or um, lack of knowledge. We just don't know what the pelvic floor is. So the pelvic floor muscles are the muscles that run underneath your pelvic from the front, the pubic bone in the front, all the way back to the tailbone in the back and side to side, the sit bones. So when you're sitting, you're sitting on your pelvic floor. Yeah. So it's the muscles that cover that surface. And there are 22 muscles down there. 
Okay. Yes. Okay. A lot of muscles. A lot of muscles. Twenty-two muscles left and right. That. But you need a lot of support. You need a lot of support. The They're... pelvic floor is the reason things don't dangle between our legs. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So we have this pelvic floor. Um. And so the challenge for women are having babies because that pelvic floor gets stretched. Um, during pregnancy and particularly during a vaginal delivery and then um, we recommend things called the Kegel exercises. Now every woman has probably heard the term but there's two things. One of the problems with the pelvic floor is it's hard to imagine exactly where it is because you can't touch it like you can touch your biceps or your thighs and your quads. So how does a woman even identify or figure out where her pelvic floor is, right? So I described to you where they are, right yes. on the bottom of the pelvis. You're sitting on your pelvic floor, for example. The pelvic floor muscles act, they do, there's five or six different jobs of the pelvic floor, which is very fascinating. If you think about any other muscle group, any other skeletal muscle group that you have control over, for example, your biceps, mm -hmm. what does it do? It flexes the elbow, it extends the elbow. That's that's its job, that's kind of its job. And as you alluded to, you can see it. You can touch it, you can yes. see it. Yes. The pelvic floor muscles have five jobs and you can't see what they're doing. Even though you have control over them, you can't see what they're doing, so. What are the five jobs? The five jobs to control, we do that in S's. So S is sphincteric. So the sphincters, the urethral sphincter to control the P, the vaginal sphincter to control that vaginal opening and the anal sphincter. That's one job, sphincteric support. It supports all these organs, all your gut, your pelvic organs, your gut, your belly, all that weight is supported by the pelvic floor. So sphincteric supported sexual appreciation. So when you have sexual arousal, the pelvic floor muscles in the female provide an erection floor, um, uh, the erect the clitoris for sexual arousal. In the male, they maintain an erection, so those muscles are important there. Um, we also, the pelvic floor works with a diaphragm. So whenever you take a breath, your diaphragm and your pelvic floor are kind of working together in this synchronous fashion. So when I take a deep breath and my diaphragm goes down, my pelvic floor should go down. Just a little bit, yes. And then when I exhale, they both come up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the pelvic floor works in conjunction with all the other muscles in this region, the hip, the abdominals, the spine, the spinal muscles to create what we call this core stability. Mm -hmm. So the pelvic floor kind of helps with whenever you're shifting and you're walking and you're one-legged stance, et cetera, the pelvic floor is helping to transfer those forces from left side to right side mm -hmm. to help with an equal balance. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of jobs for <laughs> one set of muscles. Mm -hmm. So how you know what you're doing with your pelvic floor is, can you close your vaginal opening? So Kegel's exercises are squeezing the pelvic floor muscles like you're trying to stop from peeing, for example. So you would squeeze and feel like you would um, feel that closure. And then you should also be able to relax and let the muscles relax. Not let go so everything drops out. Right. Just relax so you're back to baseline. So am I able to touch my pelvic floor? You can, yes. 
how if I wanted to touch my pelvic floor, how could I do that? And if I wanted to tell if I thought my floor was weak, how would I how could I tell? So a good test and only a test, this shouldn't be done regularly, but a good test for the pelvic floor is can you squeeze your pelvic floor to stop your urine flow? Now I wanna emphasize again, it's only a test. Mm -hmm. That's not an exercise. Mm -hmm. So I just wanna make sure people don't reinterpret that they should be exercising by stopping. That's a no-no. Mm -hmm. You don't wanna interrupt that flow. But a good strong pelvic floor, you should be able to stop your flow of urine. All right, so I mentioned in the preview, we've all heard about women in Asia who can shoot out ping pong balls, um, smoke cigarettes. Is that because they have strong pelvic floors? They are well coordinated and strong pelvic floors. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that I would advise to do. It's a very you know, interesting party trick. But yes, there are very few people that have those pelvic floors that strong. And that level of strength isn't even necessary in the pelvic floor. Well, how do I know how much I need? You, home, you know how much you need if you don't have any problems. If you're not leaking mm -hmm. with your regular activities, if you're mm -hmm. able to not pass gas in the elevator if mm -hmm. you wanted to, mm -hmm. not embarrass yourself or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. If you um, don't have pain with inserting a tampon or mm -hmm. having penetrative intercourse, if that's what your desire is. Mm -hmm. If you can do those activities without pain or discomfort or leaking, then you don't have a problem. So the pelvic floor is a muscle just like the, the muscles in my arm. They're yes. skeletal muscles. Yes. And so if I want to maintain good tone in my arms or in my legs, then I exercise. Do you recommend regular exercise for the pelvic floor? Yes. When you say regular, we're talking about how often? Every day, every other day. And, and what type of exercise do you recommend? So this, you know, you had mentioned Dr. Um, Kegel's exercise, Dr. Arnold Kegel. He came up with those pelvic floor exercises back in 1948, <laughs> a long, long time ago, identifying the pelvic floor muscles. So really, if you can contract your pelvic floor, squeeze your pelvic floor, hold for 10 to 12, 15 seconds, and then relax and let go. That's called a Kegel exercise. That's one version. You should be able to do that with normal breathing. You shouldn't be holding your breath or straining or squinting your eyes or anything like that. So that's one version, the long holds. And then there are the quick ones. Squeeze, let go, squeeze, let go, squeeze, let go, the quick. So all the muscle fibers have slow twitch and fast twitch, so you wanna exercise both types. So I should be doing this every day? Every day, every other day. It's one of those, if you don't use it, you, you lose, lose it, it kind of right. scenario, right? Okay. Um, if I go onto Amazon and I start to search, there are all sorts of products available to help me tone up my vaginal floor because, well, for one reason, it's to enhance sexual pleasure. Is that true? Yes. All right, that's good to know. So um, so I wanna enhance sexual pleasure, so I want to strengthen, I wanna have good tone. Do you advise women to consider 
um, vaginal weights, um, yoni balls. There's there's just a variety. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things on the on the market. Exactly. Um, my first caution is you don't just want to put anything up in there. Number one and number two, not everybody needs that. So everybody's vaginal opening is a little bit different. So like an egg might be a right size for one person and a ball might be a good size for another person and a cone might be a good size for another person. So I, I don't really recommend people just buying anything because you could buy something that just doesn't fit and then you're self-defeated and you've wasted your money. Have you heard about, it's called um, vaginal resistance training, meaning that if I wanted to build up tone in my biceps, I would start lifting weights. And as I got stronger, I would increase the weights. And with the resistance training, I do it a couple times a week, then I rest the muscle. Since it's a skeletal muscle, the pelvic floor is a skeletal muscle like my bicep, is that a good option for my pelvic floor? Yeah, so the pelvic floor muscles that you describe is overload training. And so with any muscle that you want to strengthen, you want to load the muscle so that it could strengthen. So, um, so using resistance training, the weights, the cones, that's resistance training. And um, so, yeah, you can take your pelvic floor to the gym and add <laughs> resistance and progressive weight training to your pelvic floor. That's, that, that is an option. It's not needed for a lot of people, but if you're somebody who does a lot of high impact activity, if you've got a job where you're doing a lot of heavy lifting, etc., your pelvic floor is just as crucial for stability and strength and not leaking as, you know, your quadriceps muscle. So there are two groups of women that we often talk about the pelvic floor. The pregnant woman, which you recommend pelvic floor training in any variety of ways for the pregnant woman while she's pregnant, postpartum, or just postpartum, or just pregnant? Do you have any specific recommendations? For pregnant, for, for women, I say start now. If you're thinking about being pregnant, start now. If you've already been pregnant, start now. If you're postmenopausal, really start, start now. Start now. <laughs> you're too late. If it, you're, yeah. It's not. It's not too late. It's not too late. So the thing about pregnancy, and that's a that's a time where it's a lot of attention, right? Because yes. it's not just about the pelvic floor. So I already mentioned the pelvic floor, the back, the abdominals, they yes. all, the hips, mm -hmm. they all should be working in concert with each other. Mm -hmm. When you're pregnant and you're going through the beautiful process of pregnancy and carrying life and delivering life into the world, all of those things shift and change. Your posture changes, your breathing changes because your rib cage are shifted this way and, um, and your back is shifted this way, your whole posture changes, so therefore the pelvic floor muscles also change. So it's not just about exercising the pelvic floor, it's about everything else. But yes, those pelvic floor muscles undergo a stress and strain and they should be, they should be exercised to bring them back. As a matter of fact, there's level A evidence. So what, what level A evidence yes, means please. is that this is the best researched evidence out there is that Kegel exercises or my preference is pelvic floor exercises 
are the best method for preventing urinary incontinence after pregnancy and the best method for treating urinary incontinence after pregnancy. So pelvic floor exercises are the gold standard. So, okay, so what I found in practice is that just about every woman has heard the word Kegel. Um, just about every woman knows it means I need to be tightening my pelvic floor muscles. You stick with it and uh, some are just never really sure if they're doing it right. So would you recommend that women get instruction in pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy? Yes. Okay, yeah. you're very clear with that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so, um, and there's, there's actually research on that, right? So there's research where they gave some women a pamphlet and said, here, do these exercises. And then they had another group and they instructed them one-on-one, -on -one, this is how you do the exercises. And guess what happened? The women who were just given a pamphlet, uh -huh. only about 50% of them were doing the exercises correctly because there's a lot of things that you can do wrong because, what did we say earlier, you can't see it, you're not touching it, so you don't know what you're doing. In the office, what I find, women will tighten their butt, arch their back, and think, I'm doing it. And hold their breath. And hold their breath. Yep. That's right. Yep. And that's wrong. Wrong. That's right. Um, and it's more of a pulling up, it's never a bearing down. If you don't want to bear down, you shouldn't be bearing down. But bearing down is a function of the pelvic floor. That's what happens when you have a bowel movement. Right. It's less often because right. you, you're, you're really holding in and supporting more often than you're letting go, but you should still have that ability. Yes, so course. it's not about holding and staying holding and yeah. going through your whole day holding your pelvic floor. Right. That's not a functional pelvic floor. Right, right. But it's it needs to be dynamic. You, it needs to be dynamic. It when you want to use ways. it, can That's you right. use it? That's right. When you want to let go, can you let it go? Yeah. All right. So you're saying yes. If you're if you're thinking about getting pregnant, if you are actually pregnant, you should be doing pelvic floor exercises. And so, can I just share one other interesting Please. research article that was Please. done? And um, they, they did this simulation. So they did this MRI simulation to look at the length of the pelvic floor muscles. And this is why I emphasize this. The pelvic floor muscles during a vaginal delivery can stretch two and a half to three times their original length. So think about a rubber band stretching to be two and a half to three times its original length during vaginal delivery and then out comes a beautiful, beautiful baby, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? If you had a, if you were a athlete and you strained your, let's say your quadriceps muscle, what happens with the other skeletal muscles? They are only able to stretch one and a half times their length before they fail or rip or tear. So say that again. Oh, during, no, during a delivery, the muscles will stretch how far? Two and a half to three times their resting length. Wow. Wow. Versus your quadricep, it will stretch how far before it tears? One and a half. Half of the, half of the ability of the pelvic floor muscle. Yeah. 
And the other perspective that I like to give women is that the stages of labor, the first stage, the cervix is dilating and opening up. That second stage, the baby is coming down through the vaginal canal. And that's where those pelvic floor muscles get stretched. It's in that second stage of labor where you're bearing down and pushing and those muscles are stretching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, and my soapbox is, we would never have an athlete have a muscle tear and not send them to rehab. And remember, they, the muscles are only, they're only going on one and a half times their length. But we would never have an athlete have that kind of a muscle strain and not send them to rehab or give them any kind of exercises in a meaningful way to get them back to whatever they're supposed to be doing, their sport, whatever they're doing, ballet, football, whatever, right? So all of these women whose muscles are undergoing twice that load, what, what are we telling them? At six weeks, what are you telling them? Go back. You're, you're clear, go back and do, without a lot of direction and so forth. So I really advocate for women who are pregnant and postpartum to, um, so one, do the exercises, yes. but even two, if you feel like you can't do the exercises, you're not, um, you're, it's not working, etc. There's a lot going on postpartum. You got a new baby, you There's got a, a new body, you got a lot going on. Yes. But a visit with a pelvic floor therapist is really, um, is, is, it should really be on the agenda. So you would say routinely. Routinely. Yeah. Whether or not she's having any incontinence yeah. or anything, she should have a visit with a physical therapist postpartum. In many other countries, that's the standard of care. I believe that happens in France. In France. Yes. Um, and other countries in Europe, yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's part of the routine postpartum care. Routine care. Even if it's one visit for a checkout, how's it going? You know what you're doing? Okay. These are the things to look out for. These are not. Yeah. Interesting. Now, the other group of women where pelvic floor becomes very important is the older woman, the menopausal woman, the woman that's now having some degree of urinary incontinence. Um, because she's lost support, um, she's lost tone, um, she may have prolapse of pelvic organs, I mean the uterus or the rectum. Or the um, bladder. Or the bladder. And often what she's told is the answer is surgical. We're going to basically resupport, resuspend the pelvic muscles, and we're going to do it surgically, and that way that will solve your problem. You're shaking your head to say, yes, that is very common, but that's not what you would recommend for women initially. Right, so there's stages of how prolapse progresses. And um, regardless of what stage you're in, there are two things that help suspend or support the pelvic organs. And uh, as you had mentioned, the ligamentous support and what surgery does is help to replace those ligaments. On the other side, in addition to that, is the pelvic floor. So it's you know two parts to the equation. The pelvic floor, as we said earlier, is one of the jobs of the pelvic floor to support the muscles from below, the organs from below, excuse me. So it's the combination. So um, pelvic floor muscle exercises are helpful in addition to surgery, if surgery is an option, 
However, for the earlier stages of prolapse, pelvic floor muscle exercises can help with reducing it. And that's level B evidence if you want to um, kind of so, understand how So can you see it as being preventive care? Meaning that if I do this um, on a regular basis, I should not develop that kind of problem. It's un less likely that I'll develop that kind of problem moving forward. Less likely. But we have to look at all the other habits and things that affect the pelvic floor. So it's not just exercises alone. So as we alluded to earlier, if you're doing your exercise but you're holding your breath, you're creating more pressure down so that's defeating the purpose. So correctly doing pelvic floor exercises is important. But other things in general health. So things like smoking, where you have a chronic cough and you're putting chronic stress on the pelvic floor, that's an addition to kind of extra strain and a co contributing factor to prolapsing organs. Um, lifting habits, if you're straining or holding your breath or something like that, creating extra pressure, we call intra-abdominal pressure, down into the pelvic area. So those habits also could be um, contributing to prolapse. So it's not just about the exercises as um, all the other habits or things that kind of go into putting too much pressure from above and not having enough support from below. So if I'm starting to notice that I'm an older woman and I'm starting to notice that I'm having some urinary incontinence if I try to exercise or um, sneeze, you know, or cough too hard. It's not terrible, but I'm starting to notice this to be an issue. Um, can I avoid surgery by doing this? In some instances, yes. Yeah. Can you think of an instance where I wouldn't be able to avoid surgery? Um, if you have nerve damage or um, some other um, medical conditions where surgery, um, um, and um, sorry, if you have nerve damage mm -hmm. or if there are um, some other things in your past medical history that might indicate that your pelvic floor muscles um, kind of won't um, uh, won't won't respond. Um, some some medical conditions like a ligamentous um, conditions, Ehlers-Danlos, or hyper hyperlaxity in your mm -hmm. um, in your um, ligaments, or so forth. Um, that might be somebody who um, you know surgery would be more indicated. So um, let's say I already have significant prolapse. If I start doing the exercises re religiously. Um, Will it go back up? It can, it can reduce. We say like, so prolapse is in grades. So we say, if you do your pelvic floor exercises, we can help you kind of reduce one grade. Okay. One okay. grade, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. That might be significant. It, 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 it could be significant in yes. your comfort in your yes. daily life, because yes. sometimes it's not even the leaking. That's a problem. It's like the pressure, mm -hmm. particularly if you know, towards the end of the day, if you have a job where you're standing a lot, surgery or cashier or something, or you're on your teacher, you know, you're on your feet a lot, that type of thing, that could really make a difference in helping you with just getting to the end of your work shift or something along those lines, yeah? Sure. So before we end this, I wanted to ask about, you said sometimes the pelvic floor is too tight. How could that be? 
this is actually where I spend most of my time in pelvic pain. Yes, because um, uh, all everything that we talked about earlier is super important, but a lot of times people can, uh, like I said, 40% of people don't know what they're doing if you just tell them, but many people do and they can do their pelvic floor exercises and they can learn or other exercises that you're doing, um, working with the abdominals and so forth, and they're able to resolve their symptoms um, pretty well. If you don't know what you're doing or you're not having any improvement, then certainly come to see me. But many people can start doing the exercises and um, they, can, they can help themselves, especially early on. The patients that have a challenging time with, um, and where, why I spend most of my time with the pelvic pain patients is there's so much going on with pain. And so pain generally coincides with a high tone pelvic floor. Somebody who's kind of clenching their pelvic floor consistently or persistently throughout their day and throughout their life. And many things can cause that pain, pain in the pelvic area, your bladder, your uterus, fibroids, endometriosis, vulvodynia, vestibulitis, um, bowel problems, constipation, all those things. Even people who have incontinence might kind of automatically try to kind of hold it in and then end up with this holding in problem. And then therefore, when they go to do things like have a bowel movement or try to insert a tampon or something, they have pain and they don't know how to relax their muscle. But they've had years and years of trying to hold it in that unlearning that is very problematic. And if you have a pain that is cyclical, menstrual mm -hmm. pain or something, mm -hmm. a cyclical, mm -hmm. you never learn to let go. So it becomes this chronicity. And some of these start with in adolescence when you start with painful periods and so forth. And so your pelvic floor just kind of learns, uh, learns to hold on. But something that's you know specific to um, black women's health is that it's not just medical conditions, it's stress, it's trauma, it's fear. All of these things contribute to this pelvic floor muscle holding pattern. Interesting. Just like your traps are tight because you're tense like this. Right. Your pelvic floor is doing the same thing. And so then therefore when you're trying to unlearn the muscles contract because the brain's telling it to contract. If the brain is in a state of fear or stress or tension, like we are perpetually living in sometimes, yes. particularly in the last nine months in this yes. <laughs> kind of um, pandemic and you know explosive external environment, it is uh, there's um, the pelvic floor can be part so of that that's really, system. That's really interesting because. Um, I'm sure there are people that can relate when they go to a massage and they're massaging their neck and shoulder and the masseuse will say, oh, you're really tight. And the person didn't even realize it until, until it was pointed out to them. Bingo. So if you can have a similar situation with your pelvic muscles, meaning they're clenched because of stress or tension, you could be literally walking around and not appreciating that, or you would be able to appreciate that. So that's my question. Yeah, some people will appreciate it because they can't tolerate sitting. Mm -hmm. They have so much tension in their pelvic floor they can't sit, or they can only sit on specific surfaces. Mm -hmm. They can't sit on like a church bench, for example, but they can mm -hmm. sit on a soft couch because their pelvic floor has so much tension in it or irritation. Um, and yeah, so you can, and, and but some people um, become aware of it because they 
um, can't insert a tampon, so they kind of choose to use pads. Mm -hmm. You can get around it. Mm -hmm. You can choose to use pads. You can have sexual intimacy in a different way, just mm -hmm. not in a penetrative way. Mm -hmm. And um, so there are some things that you can do to kind of get around it and avoid it. But, uh, but yes, yeah, some people will have, uh, particularly women who are, let's say, postmenopausal women who don't have any sexual activity. So they're not inserting a tampon, they're not mm -hmm. inserting, you know, mm -hmm. anything for sexual pleasure, and they have pelvic pain, but they don't realize it until they go to the gynecologist for an exam, or they might be postmenopausal, so they're not getting gynecological exams. Mm. So they might not know that they have pain. Mm -hmm. Or, no, I say, they might not know that they have a tension in their pelvic floor that's limiting until mm -hmm. it affects one of the other organs, the bladder mm -hmm. or the bowels, for example. Interesting. Um, and so, is there specific treatment for a woman who has pelvic floor tension? Yes. So, in physical therapy, or a pelvic physical therapist would do, would look to address all the contributing factors mm -hmm. that are mm -hmm. leading to that. So we work with the medical team. Mm -hmm. So the medications might decrease your, um, you know, antibiotic to decrease the infection or some other kind of tricyclic antidepressants to help with uh, managing the, the pain, the pain medications or hormones to manage the menstrual cycle so those fluctuations in pain from the organs aren't there. And then the pelvic floor physical therapist would be addressing the pelvic floor tension issue and teaching people to not only, so the opposite, not necessarily contracting the pelvic floor, but can you relax your pelvic floor and let it go? Not bear down and push down and stress and strain, but can you just let it go? And so that's, that's a hard, that's a very hard thing to accomplish on your own. And so that's what, um, that's what a lot of the... So would that woman need Kegel exercises? So that, as traditionally described by Dr. Kegel, then no, they wouldn't need Kegel exercises because it's not a strength problem. It's a coordination problem. So the, the pelvic floor muscle exercises would be more like, can you relax the pelvic floor? And um, along those lines, can you do some coordination with breathing, et cetera, um, so that they can learn to relax the pelvic floor? So I have a question. I'm often accused of never mentioning men. So I'm going to ask the question, do men have a pelvic floor? <laughs> well, I'm not going to accuse you of that because um, it's, 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 a common, it's a common question. But yes, men have a pelvic floor. It covers the same area from the pubic bone back to the coccyx, the tailbone. It's where you're sitting on. Um, male pelvic floors have one less opening. There's no vaginal opening, but there is a urethra opening and there is an anal opening. Men have less problems with the leaking aspect, except for the post-prostatectomy men. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of leaking problems, of mm -hmm. course. So, but outside of um, um, overactive bladder and um, you know, BPH and prostatectomy, usually the men, their, uh, their problems are pain and so they would see pelvic health therapists for um, pain or tension in their pelvic floor 
for a lot of the same reasons that women have. Now, you the know, big difference is men don't have that event of pushing a baby through a, a birth canal. Correct. So they don't. So they wouldn't have that stretching of the muscles that women can experience. Correct. With the Correct. vaginal delivery. Correct. But is it true that men should do Kegel exercises to help maintain erections? Yes, so the same functions, sphincters, sexual appreciation, support, and so pelvic floor muscle exercises would help in men help with the same functions to help with their sphincter and control, to help with sexual appreciation, to maintain. So the erection is blood flow is the erection and pelvic floor muscle contractions maintain the erect penis. Will pelvic floor exercises help a man to delay ejaculation. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's good to know. Yes. And, um, but more so with the relaxing of the pelvic floor rather than the tightening of the pelvic floor. But yes, they, that coordination can be there to help with maintaining that. Well, this is fascinating. Is I will it, also mention yeah. that men, you know, women go through menopause where their estrogen kind of goes down. Men go through what they call andropause, and so their hormones change a little bit. And so men get weaker over time as well. So it kind of crosses that line, you know, it's fuzzy with the post-prostatectomy men mm. where they have a little bit of atrophy of their muscles just because they're older. And then you have the insult of the prostatectomy or something along those lines that lead to that pelvic floor muscle kind of weakness. So there is a little bit of that um, similar biological processes happening. Hmm. All right. So for me, the take home message is that we need to acquaint ourselves with our pelvic floor, whether we're male or female, but particularly if you're female. Yeah. Um, and also, um, it will help us in our day-to-day -day activities, it'll help us sexually, it'll help us in almost all aspects of our life. Yes. And I just want to add one more thing, sure. because we discussed males and females, but to be inclusive for the LBT, LGBTQAI community, yes. there are a number of individuals who, um, you know, don't ascribe to either of those um, those terminologies or those binary terminologies, or they might be transitioning from um, whatever gender of birth to a gender of preference. And so um, <clears throat> they have pelvic floors too. Yes. And important with, with that is that understanding how the pelvic floor might work differently or how the pelvic floor could be coordinated or, or um, impacted by some of the behaviors with um, um, living a transitional life. For example, um, um, cisgendered men who might be um, tucking or... What is tucking? Tucking. So if you take your penis and then tuck it under, oh, okay. um, so to hide it so that you don't have that front bulge if you want to um, kind of live as a female. Yes. Or, um, or non-gendered. And so, so behaviors like that actually kind of change the orientation. And tucking also might include taking the um, 
it changes the orientation of, of, the muscles. of the pelvic floor muscles. So the muscles and the fascia, everything that's connected in there. As a result of, right, of the tucking. So you have not just the tucking of the penis, but also the tucking of the scrotum, kind of mm -hmm. pulling that up mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. And some of those restrictive or binding behaviors um, mm. might um, just change how you can breathe because the pelvic floor should be dynamic. And so if you're tucking and binding, then you've lost that dynamic ability and so forth. So, and then of course, if you've gone on to surgery, a transition mm -hmm. surgery, then mm -hmm. things are reoriented all over. So, um, so pelvic floors are important in that, so um, that gender more, identity. More, more significant for a male that's transitioning to female do you see that same with a female that's transitioning to male? Does, does she have pelvic floor issues as a result of the transitioning? Yes. So it's not just the surgical, but it's the behavioral. So a female, oh. for example, a fee, oh, somebody who's cis female right. would, be, um, would be sitting to do their toileting. Yes. When you transition to now a trans male, then you are now standing to do your toileting. The orientation of the muscles are different and how they function are a little bit different. Mm. So they might be trying to learn how to, you know, fully transition, they would be standing to void. So the muscles work a little bit differently in standing than they do in sitting. Mm. Um, they, they may or may not do that behavior. They may, sit, they may still sit to do their voiding, but those types, that's one example of a different kind of orientation where when you are transitioning to a different life, to a different um, gender preference, then um, the, just the arrangement and the dynamics of the muscles change. Fascinating. But we all need a dynamic vagina. <laughs> so the question, my last question to you, if someone wants to reach out to you, how could they do that? Sure. So currently I practice at Jefferson. I'm part of the Jefferson Health System. We have four pelvic physical therapists that work within our system. And um, we're, because we're part of the Jefferson Health System, we do take um, most insurances. So I really do enjoy that about where I work because there is a greater access than, um, than in, in other situations. There are a few pelvic health therapists in the region, in the Philadelphia region. There's a good amount of us. Um, um, and so um, there are not a lot of us like other um, specialty areas for pelvic health, but there's a good amount of pelvic health therapists in the area that are in private practice and also um, working in academic medical centers. So, but I myself, I'm at Jefferson, right downtown here in Center City and um, working in the Jefferson Rehabilitation Department. Just to be clear, could I specify that I wanna see you or do I just see who, whoever's most available? You can specify to see me, yes. Okay, and your name is Dr. Nicole Dugan. So closing words, any closing words for us today? I just wanna thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to share not just my clinical specialty and my passion, but an area that as we identified is under-recognized, under-represented, and um, the lack of information um, out there is, um, can be limiting in people getting the care that they need um, and lack of discussion openly about what the pelvic floor is, how it works, 
due to whatever it is, modesty or, or whatever. Um, so I want to thank you for the opportunity to openly discuss this very important set of muscles and what they do and how they work and how it's important for everyone. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yet another example, Black Women Rising. Thank you. So Dr. Dugan, are there any other women that could potentially benefit from physical therapy? Yes, um, at, actually October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I would like to acknowledge that. And one of the side effects of breast cancer and its treatments, the surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, is, um, is a condition called lymphedema. Lymphedema is when you have swelling because your lymph nodes have been affected. Either they are removed or there's surgery and your lymph nodes and lymph vessels have a little bit of um, radiation or decreased flow, so you get a backup of lymphatic fluid. We often talk about it in the arm after breast cancer, so that's why I like to bring it up now. You can have lymphedema in other parts, but lymphedema treatment is um, indicated if you have extra swelling um, because of the um, breast cancer treatments. So as an acknowledgement to Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I would just like to bring awareness to the condition of lymphedema and, um, and allow women to um, acknowledge that lymphedema is a condition and could, can be addressed. Thank you, Dr. Dugan. Hi, this is Dr. Rahman, and I just want to take a moment to talk about P-O-I-S. Originally, it was going to be for a quick chuckle, but on reflection, I realized that this is actually something very important and something that, as Black women, we actually may be able to relate to. P-O-I-S stands for post-orgasm illness syndrome. Men become ill after ejaculation. Men with POIS experience flu-like symptoms, foggy headness, muscle ache, and a variety of other symptoms which start almost immediately after ejaculation and then this can last for days. It's rare. Again, first um, reported and published in, in 2002. But what was noted was that after the publication, an increasing number of men around the world recognized the symptoms and reported being relieved. Relieved that there was finally an acknowledgement and recognition of this disorder and that they no longer had to believe that they were crazy or that there was some sort of mysterious, undefined somatic illness occurring within them. And the criteria for POIS are five. First, um, there are the multitude of flu-like symptoms, muscular weakness, runny nose, congestion, which occur 
notable for that there is no genital reaction. Two, the symptoms occur almost immediately after orgasm. And again, this is irrespective of whether spontaneous or after sex or as a result of masturbation. Three, the symptoms occur essentially every time there's an ejaculation or at least more than 90% of the time. Four, the symptoms will last for days, um, two to seven days. And five, the symptoms after several days will just spontaneously disappear. So there's the recognition that um, this happens. This happens to more men than we may suspect um, for those affected, it is a tremendous burden. Um, it affects their ability to enjoy sex, form a relationship, maintain a relationship, and how they feel about themselves. And this ultimately brings me back to black women, black women's health, and how we feel about ourselves. The point being that most of us, if not all of us, will at some times in our lives experience a medical problem that we're embarrassed about or feel as though we're less than because we're struggling with an issue that most people either don't know about or don't take seriously. And we have the mental trauma of dealing with this situation. And I am saying that whether you're male or female, whether people recognize the illness or not, how you feel about yourself and how you govern yourself makes a huge difference. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult or isolating it may seem, strive at all times to find something to love about yourself. Find something that makes you feel good about being you and understand Although others may not be experiencing what you're, what you're experiencing, everyone has a struggle. <laughs>